Hello, everyone. Thank you all for joining us today for the Niners Roundtable podcast. My name is Jesse Redmond, and I will be your host. In today's discussion, our experts will be chatting about handling problem vendors. With us today, we have Brandon Cooper, Gordon Rudd, and Nicole O'Brien. Brandon Cooper is the Miners' Chief Risk Officer. Brandon has nearly 30 years of experience in the financial services industry with a focus on the management of operational and regulatory processes and controls, most notably in the area of third-party risk and operational compliance. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We look forward to an entertaining discussion. Thanks, Brandon. Gordon Rudd is Vinminder's third-party risk officer. Gordon has more than 30 years of experience in the areas of third-party risk management, technology, information security, enterprise risk management, and GRC program development. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gordon. And last but certainly not least, we have Nicole O'Brien with us. Nicole is Ben Miner's third-party compliance officer. She has experience in the financial, mortgage, and healthcare industries, spending much of her career conducting third-party risk reviews and developing the processes that manage those assessments. Hello. Glad to be here. Thanks, Nicole. Now that you've met each of our experts, let's dive into our discussion. Experts. I want to hear your thoughts on what happens when a vendor doesn't play nice in the sandbox. Gordon, how about you kick us off? Well, thank you, Jesse. I think that that's one of the issues that every financial institution certainly has to deal with. We're never going to get away from it. And I know (laughs) that Brandon and Nicole have many years of experience with very large financial institutions. So I'd like to ask them, Brandon, how do you deal with the really large vendors that just don't want to participate? That's one of the real challenges in the business. I mean, when you've got the um, 800-pound gorilla who doesn't want to give you uh, information, it's it's a real challenge. I mean, you have to uh, fight, bite, scratch, and get after it, so to speak, sometimes. and. Yeah. And sometimes it really starts with uh, the initial due diligence. Um, uh, even prior to the contract being signed, you can you you get a good read on on how cooperative they're going to be. Um, it, you can come up with some creative solutions on on uh, trying to get information, but sometimes they simply aren't going to give it to you, and that yeah. creates a real challenge because you're being held to a higher standard in a lot of ways than. Uh, that core processor may be uh, held to, and that creates a, 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 a real dilemma for you in terms of what do, what do you do about it, and there's not an easy solution. You've just got to create workarounds, or you've got to create exceptions, or you've got to, you know, just uh, swallow your pride a little bit and, and, and move forward. Well, can you give us an example of a way that you've handled that in the past? <clears throat> sure. So a, a few different examples. I mean, so I mean, we've set up WebExes at times to walk through financials. We've gone on site to um, review business continuity plans. We've had conference calls uh, between our financial analysts and their CFO. Uh, those are just a few examples. But when they won't uh, give us uh, the information we want. And also, there have been times where, you know, in speaking with regulators, I've literally said, look, we need your help as as regulators to kind of help t- 
twist their arms a little bit because, you know, again, we're being held to a different standard than they're being held to. Um, so please help us make our job a little bit easier. And for those of you that may not know, Brandon does go to the FFIEC's biannual meetings when they're held and give them a presentation on vendor management and third-party risk management. So he is a recognized expert in that field. Nicole, same question. How, in your experience, have you handled the large players that just don't want to give you the due diligence that you think you need? Yeah, um, there's been a couple times, actually, and, and the biggest problem you see is that they don't necessarily care or need your business. And so how do you create leverage when there's not – when they don't really have reason to um, – fill out your questionnaire or send you their proprietary information. Right. I remember I had one major organization. I mean, everybody's heard of them. We're not going to name names necessarily, but they kept sending me a stock report or this packet of stock reports. First of all, it was in the mail. And so it took like a month to get it. And then they were all two, three, some sections, four years old. And you know, mm -hmm. they have updated ones. And then this is this back and forth of uh, communication and, and the poor lady that was managing the relationship, it seemed like her hands were tied within her own organization to get any significant information over to me. Um, so one thing I did notice, and this goes back to what Brandon was saying about you have to pay attention in, in your initial due diligence and maybe putting things in the contract, that they were sending, I got an updated stock report and I noticed that they changed data centers and it just so happened we were lucky enough that it was in the contract that they cannot do that without letting us know. Because while they don't necessarily care about our business, they are held responsible for our data. So all of a sudden we had some leverage and we ended up um, being able to politely escalate that and say, hey, you know, this is a problem. You breached your contract. And maybe for fear of litigation or maybe just because the jig was up, some people paid a little bit more attention to it and, and we ended up getting a little more cooperation. I'm not going to say full cooperation, but yes, yeah, sometimes uh, <laughs> like Brandon said, you just, you do have to make exceptions sometimes and, and you got to highlight it within your own internal program and processes. Uh, document your troubles. Always document your troubles. Document your troubles. <laughs> I like that. You've got to document everything for sure. You know, yeah. I, uh, I can remember one particular instance where we had decided we wanted a new HR system and we're looking for it, you know, looking for the system, doing everything we can. We narrowed down to two vendors and I send out the packet and ask them for everything that we need. And I get a call from my CFO, apparently the CFO for one of the vendors had called our CFO. And he said, what are you doing <laughs> to these guys? I mean, <laughs> I just got a call from their CFO. He says, you're torturing them. <laughs> you know, it's like, these are really large companies. Kind of and thing. that's and the I PC never version, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the PC version. I, I've never talked to the CFO. I don't know the torturing. So I'm explaining to my CFO what's going on and what we need and what we want. And so he goes back to the other guy and they work it out and they're, okay, we're going to send you what you need. Well, in the meantime, the second vendor, who was even larger than the one that was complaining, uh, within 48 hours of my request being sent, had the entire packet plus some sent back to me. I had everything I needed. So 
you know, the thing that I've noticed over the years is that there seems to be a difference of organizations that just say, these are the requirements to work in the finance industry, and we're just going to meet them. We're going to deal with it up front. And the others that are just saying, you know, that's just a problem. I don't think I really want to handle that. So, Brandon, I'm kind of curious. Does that also seem to hold true for your smaller vendors that you've dealt with in the past? Sure. <clears throat> sure, absolutely. And, and and one of the things that if there's been any good change in the um, financial industry over the past few years in terms of regulations is you're getting less of that deer in the headlights look where people are saying, yeah. I've never been asked this before. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and that uh, that strange reaction that, you know, they're claiming, that, you know, uh, this is not a reasonable request, because I think people are now realizing this is the cost of doing business with a financial institution. So you are seeing less and less resistance, I think, and particularly out of smaller institutions who want to do business with a, a financial institution. So. I think they're generally more cooperative than, uh, you know, the large guys because they want to do business. They need to do business. So, I, you know, I, right. I, I, think that's, yeah. I think that's an easier model. Times are definitely changing, and, and it's not just the financial industry. I think that that's the first largest, uh, most prominent regulated industry that, that has sent down these requirements, but now – it's filtering into other areas and other industries that, you know, data security is a thing now. We understand, mm -hmm. every person understands what we're putting out there, you know, into the atmosphere, <laughs> essentially. And every sort of organization is starting to realize that, or at least you hope so, but they need to protect the information they're taking. And, and especially when outsourcing is so prominent, um, luckily, people and organizations are starting to catch on to the fact that, all right, I can't just send my whole flat file of clients or customers over to this new vendor we have without <laughs> waiting a minute, even though they have this fancy new tool that we want to use. Um, right. We have to do some due diligence and make sure we're not on the hook for, you know, heaven oh, forbid yeah. they, they, they have a breach or something. And, and that, that will cripple any business. It doesn't have to be the financial industry. So luckily right. times are changing a little bit and we can, people are catching on. Right. I mean, and obviously the target breach being uh, probably the easiest example. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You yeah. know, the, the, everybody seems to be enamored with the fintechs today, and they all see something that a fintech has as this shiny new Chrome manipulator that I just have to have. And it doesn't really matter if it's your technology team or if it's the line of business that wants this shiny new toy. Uh, fintechs by nature are risky to do business with. So, Nicole, in your, in your history, how have you all handled fintechs and that particular risk that's associated with bringing a fintech online? Yeah, I mean, fintech or – I just even want to make it even more broader to, like, the shiny new technology, right? It doesn't okay. necessarily even have to be in the financial industry. Um, but yeah, it's the same concept. And one of the biggest challenges is your own people, because you have the business that wants to adapt to a changing world, and you have to to survive, right? Um, right. But a lot of these fintech companies and and new and up and coming platforms, you know, they don't 
necessarily have the test of time. And so you also have a business that's, that's jumping at it. And a lot of times you're that red tape in the middle that's saying, hold up. I know you told them, you know, I know you have to lock in a price by next month, but they're not answering our questions. They're not giving us any information on where our data is going. Like, just wait a second. <laughs> and and that's a, I'm pretty sure all of us can really relate to that in third-party risk. Um, Absolutely. Regardless of the type of organization, that's, that's one of the biggest issues. And it, it takes yeah. the support from your leadership, honestly. You really have to – it's important to have your people educated from the bottom to the top and, and back again on what yep. needs to happen to protect uh-huh. your organization. Yep. I mean, Nicole, you make a couple of great points there. Uh, certainly needing uh, senior management support is is uh, a terrific point. But also, uh, when you're taking a look at, at the fintech-type companies, you do want to make sure that they've done the appropriate legal analysis. You know, they, they don't just have a, a large wallet of money, but that they've gone and created some sort of compliance discipline around whatever they're doing. That's an important consideration. It's, you know... It's not just that they're the shiny new object, but that they actually have some discipline around uh, their their business model. <laughs> right. Right. And that's, I think that's very, very important, you know, and as you always say, Brandon, that tone from the top is mission critical as we're trying to get everything we need. You've got to have that support. I can imagine in the example I gave, if my, if my CFO turned around and said, you know, you need to shut that down, uh, we wouldn't have gotten the information that we needed, but thank God we had his support. So it worked out very well. You know, and one of the things that I see, everybody is being pushed. And again, as as we started the conversation off, everybody's kind of following the finance industry as a leader. And I see us all being pushed into that NIST standard and healthcare is mm-hmm. following and healthcare Mm-hmm. You know, what, like it or not, NIST is filtering into healthcare, and we're calling it some different things, HIPAA, HIPAA high mm-hmm. tech, uh, you know, I mean, we've got I all tried. these acronyms, but it's still the NIST standard that we're bringing in to bring to bear on these tech companies that have mm-hmm. these products and services. So is there something in your mind, Nicole, that would would bring together how we could perhaps use that standard in multiple industries to help solve this problem of not wanting to play according to what rules we have? That's a great question. Uh, it's a language barrier is all it is, in my opinion. Really, the underlying controls in those various acronyms you threw out that tend to govern how we want to do things, um, especially when you're talking about information security. Right. Generally speaking, there's, there's best business practices on how to uh, harden your environment. And uh, NIST is great. High trust is amazing. It rolls up right. most re- regulations into the <laughs> bear yeah. of a document I mean they're great um no but it's a good question and I think it really comes down to education understanding that maybe one might be as good as the other or um one might satisfy your need I remember there just being this 
whole issue in, in one of my organizations, like, all right, which which one are we going to dump money into uh, getting a, a review for, or getting a certification for, and then dumping right. money even then to map the two of them together? And why isn't one enough? You know, why can't right. we satisfy a business best practice for our organization and say, all right, this is what we're going with, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to represent ourselves and be comfortable with it. And it's not just regulators. It's not just regulators. It's also private companies that provide these these popular certifications that people like, and um, right. makes it harder for smaller gigs to say, "Hey, we've looked at the controls. We have a good process. Um, take a look. It, it might not have this shiny certification on the front, but we're doing what we're supposed to." So I, I know I hardly answered your question. <laughs> Other than well, maybe no, no, just highlighting you, more you, issues, you, you, but you uh, really did. I think you said it perfectly. Go ahead, Brandon. No, I, I was I, I was simply saying I think she said it perfectly. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, you know, and you know, Brandon and I have had these conversations for the longest time about how to get vendors to comply. And in certain industries that use standards, whatever the standard is, it's pretty easy to say the standard requires that we do this. But there's still those organizations out there that don't seem to want to participate, even though they say they've bought into that standard. If they had, that documentation should be almost automatic coming back to us, I'd think. But we still don't see that. We still have to go out and ask for it. So, Brandon, as, as you're going through the process of trying to make sure that an organization is not only adhering to a standard, whichever one that is, and they're trying to collect this documentation, how do you match those two in your mind to say that what you're providing me either meets or doesn't meet that standard that we're supposed to be playing to? Well, I think it really depends. I mean, it, it, it depends on the organization and, and what your acceptable standards are, meaning, you know, what do you have documented in your right. policy and your program in terms of what your um, uh, acceptable limits are, uh, you know, what what exceptions are you willing to take? What uh, what documents are you willing to substitute if needed? And how far can you stretch your boundaries? But sometimes you simply have to say, okay, look, we're going to walk away from this, and that's where you need your senior management support. Is when you really get to that point where you're saying they're simply not giving us what we need and we need to be able to break this relationship even before it gets started or walk right. you know walk far away from this relationship because it's not going to go well yeah nicole have you yeah. had similar experiences yeah absolutely um you're absolutely right it definitely comes down to needing the senior leadership support to walk away when it's necessary. But another thing that I want to highlight in regards to that is, you know, you're asking for certain things and it does depend on, on who you're dealing with and, and it varies from vendor to vendor greatly. And I guess I've had the privilege to kind of look at vendor management from a few different lenses, but um, it's hard when you don't have the resources internally for vendor management to take the time to understand where and vendors coming from. If you don't know how many people are employed at that vendor, you're wrong. Because if you're right. asking them for a stock report and it's a it's a it's a 20 man shop, then 
it's just not going to happen. And if you don't have the capacity right. to, or the, the, the regulatory leniency, I should say, to be able to engage with vendors that don't have certain certifications, then you have to know, right? But a lot of times right. the, the controls that you need to have for a large organization are not the same or not necessary and don't make sense for a smaller organization. And this is, this is the labor intensive part of third party risk is having people that can look at different vendors and understand the different controls that can and should be applied that are okay. If you don't have that right. like know-how to have a conversation and it really just, sometimes it's just so expensive and there's no way and you don't want to weed out the small guys, right? You want to right. be able to get great products from great organizations that might just have great controls and it just doesn't have that, that, you know, FFIEC stamp on it necessarily right. or, uh, you know, PCI is one that you really can't get away from if, if they've got <laughs> payment information. But uh, but otherwise, you know, sometimes you really have to meet them halfway. And, and while we're talking about problem vendors, that's definitely something that I want to get to at some point is that whole concept that it's easier to catch flies with honey than with vinegar. Vendor um, right. management, it, I've had great success with it being a win-win scenario where you can talk to those medium, small size organizations that are still, everybody's trying to improve. Everybody's building out policies and procedures more than they ever have before. And everybody's growing and developing and they should be. Uh, so having this free, you know, we're paying them and we're also coming in to say, hey, here's how you can improve. It's almost like this free review or free audit and say, how can we help each other out here? And I right. always like to look at vendor management in that way, because that's when you get the best responses from vendors and people that are just like, oh, wow, great. Like, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. What can we do? Can you take a look at our policy? Can you help us out a little bit more? Do you have recommendations? And, and I love that part of, of the job to just be able to work with people and help uh, make it a win-win scenario. Yep, that's an excellent point. And I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of the job as well is, is when you can help an organization improve by offering the benefit of your experience in looking at other organizations <laughs> and saying, you know, here's what works well, here's what doesn't work well, and let's work together to make it better. Yeah. Um, that's great. Well, as we're coming to the end here, Nicole, do you have any final thoughts for this particular podcast that you'd like to share? Um, maybe just a story to kind of, uh, give an example as to what we're talking about. I, I did an onsite once where it was, uh, a print vendor that ended up having a little bit more information than what we originally thought. So we went on site and it was literally, a, a couple, uh, that were my, my grandparents age who have had this family business for decades who have been in a relationship with my company for decades and had two desktops. So, and that's how they were running their shop. Wow. And I, you know, we're doing our standard and, and, and we outsourced a bit at the time, our, our vendor management. And so we had our standard assessment that needed to be done. And obviously there was a lot of gaping holes in the controls that we asked because it was kind of the same as what we would ask of a major organization. Right. And, in the convoluted path of information throughout the, our company and theirs, it got to the point where we were so much of their business and that business was at risk that I felt that it was 
it was so much, I felt like I had way too much on my plate to, to realize that like, if I didn't find a way to help this organization, this small company implement a couple controls that could satisfy us, if I just wanted to pull that, they don't have what they need, we need to move on, then this company would go out of business. That was right. a lot of pressure for me. <laughs> and yeah, so, that's a lot um, of pressure it, for anybody. <laughs> right. It was, it was, it was nearly devastating. And so it, I'm just glad I caught it and uh, was able to kind of circle back and say, all right, well, here's what we need to do. Let's, let's take a look at your, your desktop situation. Let's take a look at um, your office setup and, and maybe how you're locking doors and stuff. Maybe don't have your nephew or, or grandkids help with moving boxes anymore. You know, so we were able to get down to that level of working with that vendor to make sure that they could stay in business and we could keep working together because they really did offer us uh, a great product and we were able to maintain that relationship. So anyway, that's, that's just my story. <laughs> a very creative solution. Very well done. Brandon, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to give us for this podcast? Not necessarily uh, any particular thoughts other than say thank you for organizing this and thanks for hosting it and thanks for everybody for joining us. I hope they found it educational and uh, look forward to our next one. Yeah. Thank you. Everybody. Wonderful. Thank you, Brandon, Gordon, and Nicole for taking the time to share your thoughts on problematic vendors. We hope you all enjoyed the conversation around this topic and will tune into our other podcasts and resources. If you're looking to continue more third-party risk discussions like the one today, ask a question inside of our third-party think tank, an online community that is dedicated to third-party risk professionals to network, collaborate, stay educated, and is free to join. You can post them at www.thirdpartythinktank.com. On behalf of Inminder, it has been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in.